This is Lightning Power Lunch, Stanley Cup Playoffs Edition, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. There's momentum in playoffs. I, I think, though, they, it goes like with series. Look at the Rangers. You know, they fell behind in series and then built momentum, and their team has gotten better as series have gone on. I think it's no different than us. Like we kind of fumbled around in the first few games of the Toronto series, but I thought our game slowly got better. And then we carried that on the momentum into the Florida series. You know, we have to get our momentum back. When did things start to click? They started to click for us halfway through the second period of game two. And we've now kept that going. We had to stop the Rangers roll. And hopefully that goal with 48 seconds put a little pin in their bubble. What we were doing wasn't working. But at the same time, I think we, we found our legs. We, we understood where we were, and it's Eastern Conference Final. You know, there's only a handful of games left. And, uh, you, you know, that's kind of the message is if you're not happy with how you're playing, what are you going to do to change it? Um, I think guys really bought in. You could see momentum in games. I think teams are able to reset. I think for us, it was, it was the momentum of playing well. The first game was terrible. The second game, we kind of find our legs. Third game, we play a lot better, so we're building off that momentum, not just the win. No doubt, and that's what the Lightning are hoping to do tonight. Game four, hopefully even up this series 2-2 and head back to Madison Square Garden with a little bit more pressure on the Rangers. You heard John Cooper mm-hmm. break it all down, Corey Perry, Alex Kalorn. I got gonna... those three. I didn't even need to write them down. You nailed it. Well, that's what you said. Three is about your limit, yeah. correct? You know, unless Steve is going to be testing me. In I think Steve will shows Steve possibly. is sneaky like that. He'll want to make sure that you're paying attention. I do want to I do want to say about this word momentum, because I think the way they're using it, it can it can mean different things to different people because we've talked about momentum. And and I do believe that momentum within a game is a real thing. And that's kind of what Kalorn said. Right. When one team is yes. surging, that's due to momentum. Something good happens for them, and they find a groove, and the team that doesn't have momentum is trying to get it back. We saw that quite a bit within games in the Toronto series, I think, where one team would get on a roll and the other team would have a really hard time wrestling momentum back. I've never been a believer that that sort of momentum, though, carries over from game to game. So you might say, well, what's John Cooper talking about within a series? And Corey Perry kind of said the same thing that, you know, we found our legs. I think what they are kind of talking about is standard of play. And this is where the Lightning's layoff, in my opinion anyway, people can choose to look at it differently. Coupled with how well the Rangers were playing, the Lightning's standard of play dropped after the long layoff. So whatever level they were at, In the Florida series, understanding they had a worse game four than they had in one, two, and three of the Florida series. But their game four against Florida was better than what we saw at MSG in the first two games. And I think that they've gotten that standard back up. I think that's kind of what they're talking about, like finding your game so that you're doing the right things fairly consistently. Understanding that within a game, and we may see it tonight, the Rangers may surge, and you're going to have to deal with that within the game and not let them capitalize when they are rolling to score a bunch of goals. At least that's how I see, and that's how I would parse kind of these different statements we heard at the beginning because they all use the word momentum. But to me, momentum is more about like wind at your back, you're rolling, the other team can't make a play. <laughs> and you're just all over them, that's not realistic to expect that that's just going to continue, to use your term, for a full 60 or even from game to game. But you can play well, and you can kind of play to your structure and and play to your identity, and if you find that level, I think you can keep that from game to game. And the reason why it might change from series to series is you have a new opponent that you may have to make some adjustments to and they are going to adjust to what you do well also. So sometimes it's it's a different feel when you start a new series. I think that's what Coop was getting at. I think that's fair. I'm wondering too, and maybe your analysis of that situation just kind of answered the question, but we did talk about 
the Rangers losing a golden opportunity to go up 3-0 in this series based off of some circumstances in Game 3. Up 2-0, Kucherov gets a four-minute minor. They go on the power play. Their power play had been doing well in Game 3. Shesterkin was playing well. And they let that two-goal lead slip away to the point where the Lightning won 3-2. Do we think that has any long-term effect? on the Rangers. Now the easy answer, Dave would be, we don't know. We're going to find out, but I am wondering if you don't believe there is momentum from game to game, would that type of thinking be thrown out the window? Or do you think there is some sort of residual effect mentally that in a close game, let's say tonight, are the Rangers gripping their sticks differently? Are they not doing the things that they typically had done in games one and two in game four, maybe because of what happened late in game three? I I guess what I'm trying to say is, will there be any after effects of blowing the lead in game three, not only in tonight's game, but also later in the series? Well, generally speaking, championship level teams do not let it affect them. But also, like, what was the impact of the blow that you took? So in 2019, the way the Lightning lost game one to Columbus, the way that whole thing unfolded, did have a ripple effect for both teams. Certainly in the next game, and maybe you make the argument, all four games. I mean, I think the Lightning, in a way, were, were kind of coming out of their haze as the series progressed, but they continued to make costly mistakes, and Columbus never really came off its high from, from the way game one unfolded, where they were down 3 nothing and they rallied for a stunning victory. But we've seen plenty of examples of teams having gut-wrenching losses and then coming back and, and playing really well in the next game we talked about it yesterday i mean yeah the new york rangers lost in triple overtime at home to the pittsburgh penguins surrendering home ice advantage you would figure if you're going to look at a gut-wrenching loss that would be it and and a lot of the same similarities and that they they squandered a really good performance from shesterkin i know we gave up four but what did the penguins have like 80 some odd shots in that game 200 shots, I think. No. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, right. So what happened two nights later, less than 48 hours later, the Rangers came back and had a decisive game two win. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a little different. They were down in the series, and maybe they played with high urgency as a result of that. Not that they're not going to play with high urgency tonight. But if you have Stanley Cup aspirations, you need to be able to put – Every game, whether it's a win or a loss, behind you and move on to the next game. And you want to build on the good things that you did. This is kind of like we we were talking about a second ago. Build on the good things that you did that may have brought you success and continue trying to display those good habits. That's really the, the word I'm looking for. The habits that you have in your game. Playing to your identity. Like if you do that really well in one game, that may help you do it in the next game. But kind of the emotions that you experience within a game and certainly after a game, whether you win, whether you lose, like you need to be level about that. And the championship teams typically are. I think it's a good point. And I will say this. This is my observation through three games. And if people want to react, they can at Bolts Radio. We are on Twitter spaces. So you can talk to Dave and me today like you did yesterday. Brian Engblom coming up at 1230 So we have a lot of good hockey talk for you. And for those of you who are just joining us on Twitter Spaces, Dave and I are here every day, noon to one on Lightning Power Play. You can download that. Yeah, weekdays. You can download the iHeart app to your smartphone, search Lightning Power Play, and you can listen to us there. Uh, You can get us on demand wherever you want to listen to podcasts. Just search Lightning Power Play. I demand Power Lunch. You can. We have a lot of people that, (laughs) that do listen to us that way. And, you know, they'll send us tweets throughout the day. And we, we try to answer all of your tweets. But if you're new to, to this and you're just finding us on Twitter Spaces, first off, thank you. But weekdays, noon to one, we are here for you. We have all different types of guests, topics. 
and we're basically just talking the Lightning and the NHL and some other things sprinkled in, in my hatred of social media at times, which can be <laughs> a, a, a lot of fun. Also, too, you're singing its praises right now. I am. Though. I am. Bobby Fenton has his show after games at nine o'clock on uh, these airwaves. So make sure you stay tuned for that tomorrow and he will be recapping it. So once the playoffs come around, we, we kind of expand coverage and have a lot of fun. But I, I just wanted to get that out there to the people who are just checking us out not, right now for the first time and you're listening mm-hmm. to us. We're here for you every weekday, noon to one. Bobby is not restricted to, to weekdays. Now, he is restricted to the day after a game. But that is correct. He'll show up on a Sunday morning. He'll show up on a Saturday morning. You know, whenever, and he's gonna sh- whenever the game is, he's on the next morning. And I'm going to tell you this about Bobby. He's going to show up in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. That's that's where he's going to roll. That's and a I, bold move where he he does it from the home radio booth. It can be quite chilly. I appreciate that about him. That's who he is. is empty. Yeah, that's who he is. He's basically like, I live in Florida. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to own long pants? And I'm going to go work out afterwards. And I yeah. appreciate that about him. Good for him. But it's a good show. Make sure you check that out as well. But partner, my observation through the first three games is pretty simple. And there can be some give and take, but you know anybody can quibble with anybody's statement. But I think the Lightning are ascending. I think the Rangers, in some ways, have flatlined a little bit. We don't believe momentum from game to game. But if you did, I think you'd say the Lightning's game is, is trajecting upwards. We all believe it. And I think it was Alex Korn. Weren't great in game one. Better towards the end of game two. Didn't play a full 60 minutes, but part of you know my feeling about that. I, I don't think that's possible. But if you want to say they played a pretty complete game, given some some swings of momentum in favor of the Rangers in game three, I thought the Lightning played a really good game, all things considered, particularly five on five. I think they've gotten better, noticeably better, as the series has gone on. And I think the Rangers have just been kind of maybe, I don't want to say descending, but maybe flatlining a bit. And I think it's up to them now. Like if you're Gerard Gallant, I think you're looking for another level from your team because I think the Lightning clearly have found their game, whatever you want to call it, right now. They're getting their legs. I think we think there's another level for them to get to. And I think the Lightning are now entrenched in this series they found their game in game three we don't know if it's going to happen in game four but if you go off of what has happened the first three you would anticipate the lightning continuing to play a pretty decent brand of hockey i think the rangers i don't want to say peaked early i don't think their level of play is where the lightning's level of play is right now now that may change but that's how i'm kind of looking at it through the first three games i think the lightning have gotten better i think the rangers we're really good early on, and now it's time for the Rangers to kind of up their game a bit more because I think the Lightning certainly have done that over the last two games especially. Yeah, I look at it differently, and I just wouldn't put it in those terms. What I, what I would say is that, at least to me, the nine-day layoff knocked the Lightning off kilter, and I've been consistent in saying that. And I think it took them about a game and a half, a game and a little more than a half, five minutes left in the second period in game two for them to kind of rediscover the level that they needed to at least be in the vicinity of. They weren't even close to being at an appropriate level for the first game and a half of this series. Whereas the Rangers have been at a fairly consistently high level. But let's say that both teams are basically, because they're in the Final Four, are playing at a pretty high level. Because I think the Lightning now have have rediscovered and and been able to reach, again, the level that they were at prior to the layoff. Then it comes down to, within each game, is there going to be a little bit of a hiccup? Is Like, if you, if you imagine kind of the 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 level of the line you know like all right we have the high level and we have the low level so both teams they're kind of at the high level but that line might waver a little bit and maybe you dip just a smidge 
in one game and the other team raises its level, which is something that you talked about. You you feel the Rangers need to raise their level. But some of that is based on maybe what happened in the previous game, which team is down in the series, which team is going to bring more urgency. I just mentioned game two of Rangers-Penguins. The Rangers got a big win. They really needed that win. And maybe the circumstances in that game helped them reach a higher level than where the Penguins were. Gerard Gallant actually said the Lightning, he didn't say they were at a higher level, but I think he said played with higher urgency. Maybe he did say they were at a higher level. I'm paraphrasing the quote because I don't have it in front of me. But basically he said, you know, the Lightning were at, were at a level that we were not at in game three. Does that mean that the Rangers are flatlining or descending? I'm not sure that I'm I'm ready to say that after one game. I think that that may have been a function of they did have some breathing room because they were up 2-0 in the series. And even with that, a game in which they gave up 52 shots and were back in their heels for much of it, they had their opportunities to win it, and they didn't. So I think moving forward here, I think we need to go under the assumption that both teams are kind of at their at their peak level, but one team might be able to elevate just a bit and the other team might might lose it just a little bit that may tip the balance in a particular game. And and we're going to find out tonight what happens. I think the Rangers understand coming off a loss, they need to bring it more, but the lightning also understand that if they don't get the job done tonight, they're down three, one in the series. So I think both teams should be having some urgency Going into this game, we're going to see what happens. Yeah. I wonder too. And I want to get to some callers. Are are we just at a must win game? For both teams in this series, understanding where we are, as you mentioned, letting go up to, you know, tie things up to two. That changes the whole trajectory of the series. Also, too, if the Rangers go up three one, that is a really tough hill to climb. Yes, I think if you're the Lightning. So I think we we understand. Look, it's it's never a a must win game until that last one. Acknowledge, understand. But you, you got to you got to meet me halfway when you start talking about practically speaking, where does this momentum lie? Let's get to some of our. Listeners, and again, we're on Twitter Spaces here. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Lanelli. Brian Engblom joining us in about 15 minutes. We will really enjoy that. Let's go to Jason. He wants to join us on Twitter Spaces. You're on with Dave Michigan and Greg Lanelli. Jason, welcome. Maybe Jason left us. Jason did. He abandoned us. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's try one more because I do think we have Nick on the line. And Nick is not on the line. So we had two people who wanted to talk, and they didn't. I can't blame them. Did you them scare them off, going Greg? I might, can you blame them if, if I scare <laughs> them? I don't. Uh, I don't you uh, said yesterday, neither one of us bites. but I don't. Um, let me go to this real quick, because this came from Bob. He said, am I the only one that feels like Nick Paul set the tone for the effort forthcoming on the first Rangers power play? The guy was single-handedly taking on three Rangers. Telling you he is money. Well, he was fantastic. Yeah, and I, I he I has been fantastic. You've made the point, even in this series too. I mean, could you make a strong case? I, I guess for what he's being asked to do, although he's being asked to do a lot. When you think about it, I mean, I feel pretty comfortable saying at least at the forward position, partner. He's he's been one of your top three performers throughout these these postseason games. His level has been high, consistently high, and it has not really dropped at all. Even in some of the games in which the Lightning have struggled as a team, I don't really feel that that his game has has dipped in that he is invariably in the right place at the right time and making the right play, and he is so hard on the puck. And I don't think that that ever changes when he goes out on the ice. He is a horse. Like, you think about the Rangers' power play. So, I mean, usually you have skill guys on the power play, and this is the case with the Rangers as well. But, I mean, maybe you want to make the argument kind of their their biggest, strongest, most prototypically power-forward type of player on their power play is Kreider. I mean, I, I, I would probably say that. Which means that, you know, like back toward the blue line are Fox and Zibanejad. Now, Truba plays on the second power play unit. 
Truba is in a different category. But like when Paul gets the puck down the ice and he's pursuing the puck, I mean, if you're Zabanajad or Fox, what do you yeah. do with Nick Paul? He's a big, strong man. With skill. They're, they're having a hard time physically dealing with him. Now, they're I'm not suggesting problems. the Rangers change up their power play. It's been a really, really good power play for them. But I think that's one reason. Like, he understands, look, I'm going to track this puck, and, and I'm going to kill time at the very least, and maybe I can shrug these smaller players off of me and take it to the net, which he's done. I couldn't agree more. And, and the thing about him, and we're going to go back to uh, Jason here, who uh, just, just got back with us on Twitter Spaces. He's got a nice blend of size and skill. And those guys, you know, we talk about the Tom Wilsons, guys who can do everything but have some some size to them. Paul's got that. Not as big as Wilson. You know, probably not as big as an, of an enforcer. But he's got hands. He's got grit. He's got speed. Those guys are coveted, which is why he's going to command a lot of money uh, in the offseason. All right, let's get back to our Twitter spaces. And before we get to Brian Engblom, Jason is back. He wants to talk about the game tonight. Jason, do we have you, and how are you? No. And let's go to Nick. Nick, you know what? Nick <laughs> is a loyal. He's a loyal listener. We appreciate. His I feel tweets. like we're in some time loop here. <laughs> Nick, please are you, be there, Nick. <laughs> Nick, are you there? <laughs> no, it could just be. You know what? Well, it is? Nick was on yesterday, so he knows. Hey guys, I'm gonna have the story. Oh, there he is. There's I Nick. Know the There's story. Nick. <laughs> Um, this is to go back to your, you know, your earlier point, kind of talking about the momentum from game from game to game in this series, and just or the Rangers flatlining. I I think that the Rangers have still been playing at the high level. Maybe it's you know the Lightning are slowly, you know, the beast is waking up. Game one, game two, game three. Um, but really, I I'm seeing this at the end of each uh, at the end of today. Maybe after game four, there'll be more of a concrete answer. But how much of you know the subtle changes in coaching are so instrumental? Nothing to take away from the Rangers, but just Coach Cooper and and those coaches are able to make subtle adjustments, especially at home, that are making such an impact. Thanks, guys. Good question. That's something we can ask Brian too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we have seen, and Kalorn was asked about this, and we spent a good portion of the show yesterday talking about it, his line being matched up against Zabinijad. Uh, I, I don't know what Gallant can do strategically to make that matchup a little bit better for his line if that is the matchup that ends up happening. I mean, I guess theoretically, if you wanted to change personnel, you could break up Kreider and Zabinijad to get away. From the Sorelli line, he probably doesn't want to do that. There's probably something to be said about getting pucks out of your your own zone a little quicker and then maybe getting it on the forecheck. But those are things I think coaches look at every game game partner to see is is there a minor adjustment they can make to help alleviate some of the pressure that Kalorn line specifically was giving the Zabinijad line five on five. Yeah, Nick made a really good point there. So from the Rangers' perspective, were they at the same level that they were at in games one and two, and was it just that the Lightning raised their level so much that the ice got tilted in the other direction? And that's hard to it's hard to quantify. Like we don't have a serum like that we can analyze and say, yes, the Rangers' percentage of high play stayed consistent. But the solution changed because the lighting added so much more on their side. Or did the Rangers play dip a little bit? I think if you're Gerard Gallant, you're looking at it and saying, well, if, if, our, if our compete and our urgency level was at the same level that it was in games one and two, then that was not good enough in game three. But I don't think he believes that. I think he believes his team dipped a little bit and they need to, they need to rebound tonight. I mean, yes, the Lightning had some adjustments. Part of it was they had last changed, and they matched the Sorelli line against the Zibanejad line with great success, at least in Game 3. And they went with 12-6, and six, which they could do for Game 5 as well when they're the road team. But it did work well for the Lightning in Game 3, and it does look like they're going to go with the same lineup configuration with the same scratches tonight, and why wouldn't they? I mean, they're coming off a game where they played very well and had 52 shots on net. So 
I agree with Nick. Like we'll have a better handle on on kind of where the series is going in in these trend lines after tonight's game. It's a good point, Nick. We appreciate that at Bolts Radio. If you want to get involved with us via Twitter, you can or talk to us via Twitter Spaces. I should make a note of this. Steve texted me last night and uh, wanted us to talk about it just a little bit, just because this date, Mish. Back in 2004, mm-hmm. as you know, June, June 7th, 7th, yeah, King beat the Flames 2-1, to one, and boy, was that a, a memorable moment. You want to talk about a team that was, you know, on the brink of, of losing it, and then the Lightning get a, an OT win in Game 6, and then in Game 7, 2-1. Yep. to one. Well, this is what I was saying. Like, most Stanley Cup champions in their playoff run have at least one, if not more than one, of those moments where you're like, yeah, this you're could right. have turned in the other direction. Now, the Lightning, they had a Game 7 against the Islanders last year in 2021. I know I'm repeating myself. Our very loyal listeners, they've heard me make this spiel before. But the Lightning never trailed in Game 7 against the Islanders last year. And frankly, the Islanders didn't really get their game going at all because the Lightning played so well in Game 7. That was their one elimination game. And while there were points in the last two playoff runs where you know, the Lightning maybe had a gut check time or they're you know coming off a loss and they would win the next game, as we know, they didn't really have one of those situations where you say, boy, if this had swung in the other direction, we might have been out or in real jeopardy of being out. And I think that has happened for Colorado this year in that the Avalanche have not really been in dire straits. They've had some adversity. I mean, they blew a lead at home in Game 5 against St. Louis, and they were down in Game 6 against St. Louis, but those were not elimination games. They put themselves in a really good spot to, to win that series earlier in the series, and they ended up sweeping Nashville and Edmonton, even though some of those games were a little bit more back and forth. So we'll see what happens for them in the Stanley Cup Final. But your example about the 0-4 Lightning, I think that is the rule rather than the exception. To win a Stanley Cup, you need a lot to go right, but you also have to find a way to, to get out of a few pickles along the way. And the Lightning in 0-4 did that. And you could make a case. These playoffs, partner, they have faced more yeah. pickle-like situations, right? Pickle-like yeah. situations than they did in the first two. Although some would say, listen, playing in a bubble, that's a pickle in and of itself. You know, playing in, in front yes. of no crowds and, you know, your but, fans aren't there. I, so that part I understand. But here's the thing. So let's say whoever comes out of the East beats Colorado. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen. I'm just saying let's go with this hypothetical. Have they faced if any pickles? <laughs> well, yes, that's the thing. Yeah. So if you're looking at the Rangers, the Rangers were down 3-1 to Pittsburgh, down 3-2 to Carolina. They were in an overtime in Game 7 mm-hmm. against the Penguins. They were down in the third period of Game 7 to the Penguins. And we know what's happened with the Lightning. They're in overtime in Game 6 facing elimination against Toronto. And Andre Vasilevsky makes nine season-saving stops. Yeah. Then they had to go on the road and win a Game 7 in Toronto. And if they get through this series, we can say they were down 0-2 to the Rangers and 2-0 in Game 3. So whether it's the Rangers or the Lightning, it's not my Phil Esposito 5-on-3 power play rule because I'm saying there are examples, certainly recent history shows us, that teams have not had to deal with this. But if the Stanley Cup champion is coming out of the East this year, whether it's the Rangers or the Lightning, they will have gone through multiple moments. They will. Where you could say it was that close to, to getting away from us. No doubt. And you could may, maybe say Colorado faced that in, in the second round against the Blues. But again, they're, they're first and third Yeah, but that, round they matchups. weren't facing elimination. You know, even That's what I meant. Blue game five. That was, well, a, that was a tough loss for sure. But they were still up three two in the series. Well, that's that's what I meant when I said pickle. Not not the Rangers. The Rangers have faced yeah. that. I, I meant yes. Colorado. Colorado. Yes. I don't I don't know have faced. I mean, their no. goaltender. You know, individual moments. But I, I think you're right. They've had yeah. adversity. I mean, they've had injuries. They've lost Gerard. Kadri's now out. They lost their starting goalie for, yeah. you know, a portion of this series. 
and and we'll see if he's going to be able to come back for for the Stanley Cup final. But in terms of like you're in a game and you're like we're down in this game and if we lose this game we're out or we are going to be on the precipice of being out. The Lightning didn't really have to deal with that the last two years, and the Avalanche have not had to deal with that through three rounds. This yeah, year, no, in my I think opinion, that's, it's a fair point. We are live here on Twitter Spaces and Lightning Power Play. If you're new to this, weekdays noon to one, Mish and I are on Lightning Power Play. Download the iHeart app to your smartphone, search Lightning Power Play, and we've got all Lightning content for you. Brian Engblom joining us in just a moment, partner. Before we do that. We have Rob, who wants to get in on the conversation about tonight's game and maybe where this series is headed. Rob, welcome to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, uh, was In Game 3, uh, the defense looked a lot more comfortable. Was that because the decision to go to 12-6 and that the defensemen had more chances to cycle their shift time? Or is that just the natural progression of the series that, you know, you just get more comfortable with the other team? That's probably a good question for Brian because he played the position. The Lightning have played 11-7 and seven enough, though, and we've seen them have a lot of success playing 11-7. and seven, And I'm not sure the defensemen are, are feeling kind of what you were suggesting in a way that like, oh, my gosh, seven defensemen, we're, we're out of sync. What do we do? And then six defensemen, okay, I have my partner, and it's steady Eddie, and I know when I go out, I'm going to have the same partner with me. I mean, the Lightning have been through 11-7 and seven enough that the defensemen, are, I think, are comfortable playing under either scenario. But you are correct that the Lightning defense, their six defensemen were a lot cleaner in Game 3, but but so was the whole team. So I think the, the defensemen were part of that, and... I have the game sheet here, the old game sheet before they added the extra shot for the Lightning. I'm looking at the minutes. I mean, Hedman led all players, but he was just over 24 minutes. And remember, the Lightning were down in this game. So it's not like – I think the minutes fell where they probably should have fallen, and, and they probably wouldn't have looked that much different for the top guys had they gone with 7-D. That's my, that's my gut. I felt like, Rob, and I agree with what Dave said there, I, I think when you have a level of desperation and you needed to win that game, I think there's a level of concentration that is required and you have a tendency to play a bit better. I also thought they kept it a, a little more simpler in that game than maybe in previous ones. You know, Corey Perry talked about getting it behind their defense going into game three and making them work, meaning the Rangers' defense, and just in general. And I think we saw that five-on-five. Five. I think the Lightning's play was a lot better. I think some of that has to do with the Lightning's defensemen getting the puck out of their own zone a little cleaner and also allowing the forwards to go to work in the Rangers' own zone. So I'm sure there's a number of reasons why. We'll talk to Brian Engblom about that coming up. But I think we all agree they looked a lot, a lot better 12-6 and six than they did 11 and 7 at least in this series and my sense is partner uh, with Braden Point ruled out again tonight that that's probably something they're just going to stick with until told otherwise mm. because they And Coop was asked about Point today and he said the longer it goes the more optimistic we can be I mean again I'm paraphrasing but he basically said if we're looking at game 5 pretty bleak but if if this thing goes to 7 more optimistic so, look, yeah. if you want to read the tea leaves there, I mean, Game 7, if there is a Game 7, would take place a week from tonight. So you want to say points probably about a week out from them looking at him realistically coming back. That's probably fair. And listen, he's on the ice. He's been doing drills. I mean, that's yeah. all positive. You know, before when he wasn't even on the ice... And people were asking, you know, do you think he's going to be playing in this game or that game? I mean, it's hard to say somebody's going to be in the lineup when they don't even get on the ice to test what their injury right. is. But at least he's been out there. I mean, people look, it, it's made public. People can can watch him participate in some of these drills. And I think you take that for what it is. I think as soon as Point and the probably more importantly partner, the, the medical staff feels that 
there, there's always risk of injury in sports for sure, but there's a, a certain level of comfort in what he can play with. He needs to be able to skate. Him. That's his yeah. game. Yes. So if he presses down on the gas all the way, is he going to be able to do it, right, <laughs> without potentially aggravating something? Yep. That's hard to replicate in practice. But look, I would say this. You know, when they have these timetables, some of it is based on how the player is feeling. It's not like this is some direct line where you're like, okay, we heard this whatever timetable is for this injury, and now we've hit that point, and the player is now ready to come back. You know, like rehabbing through an injury is not always a direct line. Sometimes there are fits and starts. Sometimes the player feels better. Sometimes the after another day, the player might feel a little worse. They're monitoring all of that. But what I will say has been a positive sign is it does not appear as though like he's had any sort of issue. Like he's continued to be on the ice and can you continue to work at coming back? And that's yes. a positive sign. It is. Uh, I'm seeing on Twitter, again, take it for what it is, that if this does go seven, a couple of people are tweeting out that it is the second night of the Justin Bieber tour stop. <laughs> So there's some people at MSG that could be in in a little bit. Speaking of pickles, partner, I don't know how that would work. They would probably well. How did they get maneuver. the date if they already had a commitment at the arena? I don't know. I don't know. Well, Justin Bieber is a hockey fan. Admittedly, he is. he's a Maple Leafs fan. He's from Canada. He's yeah, from Canada. he loves the Leafs. He might he want to attend that game. He may. If you're Justin Bieber and you are going to Game Seven Rangers Lightning. And the lightning knocked out your team. Are you the sort of person that feels, yes, I want the team that knocked out my team to experience an excruciating loss? Or do you say, I want the team that knocked out my team to do as well as possible? Because it elevates in a way what happened with my team, which is kind of what I was talking about. Like, are the Leafs looking at the lightning dispatching of the Panthers and saying, hey, you know, we actually gave these guys a pretty good series. It's funny you mention that because I would rather lose to the champs. Yeah. Because the lightning, think about it, before they went on this run that they've been on since that loss to Columbus a couple years back, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, being up 3-2, who were the teams they lost to? Pittsburgh and Washington. Those teams went on to win cups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, again, it, it kind of speaks to how really amazing this run has been. I mean, when the Lightning have lost, they have lost during a couple of instances, partner, to the team that went on to win the Cup. Outside of the fact that the Lightning have won the Cup twice and are looking to three-peat. So, again, it's it speaks to how consistently great this team has been. But I would rather lose to the team that's going to win it all. I mean, look, I, I don't. I don't get anything for it. it. It might just make me feel a bit better when I when I have a debate with some friends and say, well, listen, I mean, yeah. you know, my team lost the eventual champs. You know, what's your excuse? Well, I was just wondering what what the Beebs would think if maybe, we get to that point. Can we get him on the show? <laughs> yeah, maybe we could. Do you think he'd come on? He what do the would. Leafs need to do during the offseason? They, they need to talk to Justin Bieber. They need to talk to Justin Bieber. Of course, mm-hmm. is what they need to do. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. We're waiting for Brian Engblom. He had a couple of things come up, so we're going to wait for him. Uh, also, a couple of other questions starting to trickle in. This comes from Darren, and he wants to know, how do you guys think Riley Nash looked in his playoff debut for the Lightning? We think he's back all in things, the lineup tonight. Yeah, all things considered, and that's quite the the – opening statement I'm not trying to make this be like a caveat right like given the circumstances but I mean it's not easy the guy hadn't played since the end of the regular season in the AHL he did not even play for Syracuse when the crunch played in its first round series he was up with the lightning as an extra so I mean you remember how the lightning looked as a team when they had nine days off Riley Nash had a lot more than nine days off. He was practicing, but not in game flow, not at the intensity level that he was seeing. But this is another reason why the Lightning acquired him, because he's a veteran. He has a ton of NHL playoff experience, and he knew what was coming. 
Now, I'm sure he did not want to take a goalie interference penalty and see the Rangers score in the ensuing power play. But again, all things considered, I thought he did well in his debut and hopefully can build on that tonight. This is a question not involving this series, but it's one that will impact the Lightning in some capacity, obviously more so next year. This one comes from James. He said, Bruce Cassidy fired. Barry Trotz is now available. Mike Babcock's name is still out there. Joel Quenville maybe gets back into coaching. What do you make of the coaches on the open market right now? Well, like I can speak about Trotz and Cassidy. That, were I you surprised are, with Cassidy? I'm a little yeah. surprised. But we don't know what's going on internally with the Bruins. We do know that three of their top players are going to be out long term and miss the start of next season. McAvoy, Grizzlick, and Marchand. Maybe they know something about Bergeron that that is not public at this point. In other it, words, I, I don't know if they know something about Bergeron. It may be that Bergeron is deciding what his future is going to hold, but if they feel that they kind of have to do a retool, what's the term if it's not a full rebuild? A <laughs> like, reboot? A reboot? A reboot, yeah. Maybe Get they out. feel that, that they want a new voice there. I'm not entirely certain. What I do know about Bruce Cassidy, though, is like Barry Trotz, this guy can coach defense. Not yeah. defense men, defense. His teams always defend well. So if you are a team that is looking to get a coach that will get you into the top 10, if not higher, yep. in terms of your goals against, either one of those guys would be an excellent fit for your team. But this is the question. How much more in demand is Barry Trotz than Bruce Cassidy? And, I mean, coaches make good money, but it, relative to what they have to pay players, right? I mean, it's not like relative to a, a, a middle forward in terms of your salary structure for most teams, like the head coach isn't going to cost as much. Now, maybe the top guys do, and it doesn't go against the cap. But Barry Trotz is interviewed with how many teams? Like, how many teams are reported to have interest in him? Five, six, seven? Is Cassidy going to command that much interest? I don't know. But I think either guy, that is where they really bring the beef, so to speak. They can coach defense. And a lot of teams probably could use that. Defense wins championships, no doubt about that. I think that's safe to say in all sports. Let's bring in our good friend Brian Engblom, Lightning broadcaster, the uh, Stanley Cup champ, and he's with us right now on the show as we get you set for game four tonight at 8 o'clock. Maybe we'll get into that coaching carousel a little bit with Brian uh, once we get through some of the questions pertaining to this series. Brian, great to be with you again. And, boy, three games in, it feels like each game the Lightning have gotten better. I'm sure there are a number of reasons for that, but... From where you sit, what is the biggest reason? Uh, I think going into Game Three, um, the all the talk about the you know the defensive systems and the shot blocking and everything and how they played against Toronto and Florida had become a big thing, too big a thing, and you have to make adjustments from one series to the next. This Ranger team's got a lot of confidence. I mean they. They're a young team that almost doesn't know how much they don't know, and that makes them really dangerous. They've got speed. They've got confidence. They've got skill, and their skill guys were playing better than a lightning skill guys, and I think the whole structure thing had gotten to be too much. Like going into game three, I didn't want to even hear the word structure. I didn't want to hear it anymore because what I was seeing was that Victor Hedman looked the same as Zach Bogosian. And no disrespect to Zach, he knows he's not Victor Hedman. And the star players for the Rangers were better than star players of the Lightning because I think there was so much focus and all the talk about shot blocking and how good we are defensively and all that. But great, but just relying on that and just doing that, not going to work three series in a row. It's not. They were fortunate in some ways to beat Toronto with it. Um, and they did a heck of a job against Florida on it. We're able to keep their thumb on them and not allow them to get any offensive confidence. That's great. But you think you're going to play the same way every series for four series and win the cup? They already know that, that that's not how it works. You have to have the general ideas of defense. 
But I thought that got out of control in, in the last game. Nikita Kucherov was the best player on the ice. Victor Hedman had a stellar game. Stammer scored a huge goal. What wins for you in the playoffs is, yes, you have to have a plan and structure. And, yes, you have to have balance. But your star players win you series. End of story. Star players win you the Stanley Cup along with those things. And that's what was missing. But that's what I saw in game three. Well, we often hear, you know, your best players need to be your best players. We hear a lot of other stuff about success in the playoffs. Defense wins championships is another one. What I have heard a lot from Lightning players and coaches since the end of Game 3 was that their improved play going back to Game 2 has been tied to puck management. And there's no question they are managing the puck way better in the last game and a period or period plus than they were earlier in the series. But I, I have that voice of yours ringing in my head where you often say, the puck, the puck, the puck, the puck, enough about the puck. How much has it been about puck management? And if it's not only about puck management, what else has it been for the Lightning as they, they seem to have found their game? Well, you, ha you have to have some puck management, that's for sure. You can't turn pucks over at inside your own blue line and at inside the offensive blue line. We've seen that in past years, especially the Columbus series. That was the one thing that absolutely killed them. So it's not like it doesn't exist, that's for sure. But what for me it became is just what I was touching on a moment ago is it became too much one way. This Lightning team is a very well-balanced team, and it has star players. It has star players at every position, goaltending, defense, and forward, which is what you need to win the Stanley Cup. So my, my, what I was trying to get across is that too much one way or too much another is not good enough. So going into game three and continuing on here, there was a lot of focus on Vasilevsky, who has been the best goalie in the league. And whether some goals that he want back, yeah. What Vasi needed was inspiration. What the team needed was inspiration. You know how you get inspiration? And because Braden Point's not in the lineup, that makes a big difference. Because inspiration comes from speed. It comes from attack. It comes from an individual star player grabbing the puck and going, you can literally feel players on the bench. I still remember it from back in the day, playing with star players and go, there goes Larry. Here we go. Guy Lafleur, here we go. Braden Point does that. Well, Braden Point's not here. So Nikita Kucherov had to play at a heck of a lot faster pace because he just wasn't being allowed to play at a slower pace. What he can do when Braden Point is in the lineup because Braden creates that wake in behind him and that fits Cooch just perfectly. But he's not here. So the pace was not there. The attack was not there. The inspiration was not there for the team, starting with Vasilevsky and going to the entire team. But that's what I did see in game three and it has to continue. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, five on five, the Lightning tilted the ice in their favor in Game 3. What made that effective for the Lightning, and is that something they can continue to do from here on out? Yeah, the five-on-five five play has, has not been bad. The numbers are there. I mean, I looked at the defense numbers even through the first two games that they lost, and the Lightning D scoring chances for and against uh, in, this, in Game 2 even – the, the Rangers did not have one defenseman, not one, that was positive for scoring chances for and against. They had a couple of guys were even, and then the other ones were all minus. So, and same thing, I think, in, in game one when they won 6-2. to two, I think they had two guys that were positive for scoring chances for and against. Guys like Truba and Lindgren were massive minuses in that department. And which team won 6-2? to two? So sometimes the numbers lie. And... What the difference was for them is, yeah, their power play has been great. And Zibanejad can't miss. I mean, that guy's in his zone like you see star players get to from time to time. He, if With his eyes closed, I don't think he can miss the net. So they have to do something about that. So, But five on five, they've done a pretty good job other than the fact that in those first two games, I think there was way too much speed. There was rust in game one. I don't care what they say, there was. And there was no momentum, no speed, not enough offensive push, and too much focus on the other end of the ice. Yes, they still need to play D, but that transition game and the 51 shots showed you the different mentality that they had in Game 3. And if that's what it takes, that mentality, 
to say we need another 50 shots, then so be it. That's great. At least that shows they're not going to forsake the defensive side of the game. They didn't do it in game three. So if the coaches have put that structure in, and now if you trust your players enough, then you let them go a little bit and you want that offense, and they did that. Brian, you mentioned Zibanejad on the power play, and he's been a real problem for the Lightning, certainly in the series, but even going back into the regular season where he scored some goals from that spot on the power play. It's not like they can just take away Zibanejad because there are other weapons the Rangers have, not to mention Kreider in front of the net and Panarin on the other side of the ice, but how would you approach trying to minimize the damage that Zibanejad can do moving forward in the series? It is a difficult problem because they are really moving the puck around well. He is in that spot, which I wish Stammer would move back to a little bit. Just so I, let me touch on that. I was just watching Zibanejad, who did skate this morning, and he took his one-timers uh, this morning um, just like Stammer does. And what struck me was Stammer was right down by the dot, about 15 to 20 feet deeper, and he's really good from there. But I think he's being blocked out too easily. Um, from his spot by the defense and by the angles it takes away his potential cross ice pass into the middle or right across the cooch and it cuts down his options for Shesterkin who was extremely quick in net he moved side to side every bit as quickly as Vasilevsky if not more so then when he's on that steep an angle uh, and the goaltender's getting there he just has to get there and it has to be a perfect shot Zabanajad's out about another 15 to 20 feet he's the top of the circle and even just barely on the top of the circle, more like Ovechkin. Ovechkin hangs pretty high. That's a really difficult spot to defend. He's there for a reason. Do you want Chernak, if he's on that side, to go out there that close to him? Well, you know, a couple of times he'll draw him out, draw him out, and then he'll just throw the puck to the front of the net to Kreider, and Kreider's a 52-goal scorer who's really good in front of the net. That's the whole idea of that structure. So is Zabanajad an easy guy to get to? No. I think you have to use the forward up top and cheat a little bit and take that pass away from him a little more, force Fox, who's at the top, to pass it to somebody else. But you can't show the same look all the time. You can't keep giving it to him. That, that, uh, the, the last game, he I, was it game two or game three, he had, Zabanajad had three one-timers, mm-hmm. and he scored on the third one. It was game two. He had that sort of half slapper that was a brilliant shot right under the bar. He had two big-time one-timers on the same power play consecutively, and that's too many for sure. And then he scored on the third one. So to give him that many, yeah, that's no good. Stammer with three chances, he scores as well. So I think it's, it's a mix of things. You can't show the same look. You can't, can't keep showing that you're going to be in the same place all the time because they're just measuring you then at that point. You have to be unpredictable. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. We're also live here on Twitter Spaces. Brian, what did you like about the 12-6 lineup, and what specifically did the defensemen do differently in that setting compared to 11-7 and in the previous two? Rhythm. You get some rhythm for your six guys. It's tough on Rob Zettler in coordination with Coop, of course, but Coop's busy with his forward lines, and he's looking down at the other bench. I don't know if you, you guys notice it, I know, but a lot of fans don't realize how often head coaches are actually, while the play is going on, looking down at the other bench. You notice it a lot when you're in between the benches, which I am all the time, and I'll be looking and I'll see. They're not looking at the play. They're looking to see who the other coach is tapping on the back. They want to see who they're up against because they got line matchups they're worried about too. So Coop is leaving that to Rob Zettler, and Rob's very good at it. Um, But it puts stress on him. Who do I get out here at the right time? How do I keep all seven guys in the the lineup and with a bit of rhythm and feel? Um, And that's difficult. And it's difficult for the guys like Ruda and Foote and Bogosian, who are the last three on the list. The top four, you know, we're going to play regularly all the time, but those other three, you need them. How often are you going to fit them in? So when it's down to six, now you're one of the six and you go, okay, I've got rhythm. And yeah, the other four guys may play a little bit, but I know I'm out there all the time. So I'm in the game. 
If you've got seven defensemen playing, then it might be halfway through the second period before one of your guys back there on the back end actually feels like he's got a little bit of rhythm to his game. And maybe he's, he's becoming the sixth guy more than the other guy, if you know what I mean. So that's the problem with seven defensemen. As far as the forwards go, they kind of like it uh, because they're getting double shifted. But having said that, they needed rhythm of four lines going, I think, too. Guys are banged up for sure. The, the Rangers' fourth line was getting chances and was playing better than the Lightning's fourth line. Remember that couple of combo shots? Ryan Reeves got robbed by Vassie, and the first shot came from, I can't remember who it was, uh, but came right in front of the net. Two of the best saves of the game for Vassie were on the fourth line. So they had more rhythm there, and I think that Coop probably realized that we have to get a little more line rolling going on here, and I'll double shift Cooch when I need to. Um, and I think it certainly worked well because you can always, doesn't matter if you have 11 forwards or 12, you want to cut down to two and a half lines. You can do that no matter what, right? The coach is in charge. Last one for me, Brian, earlier you mentioned, Hey, if it takes 50 plus shots to, to win the game, so be it. Is it going to take 50 plus shots? Like, what are you seeing from how the lightning are trying to score in Shesterkin and, and maybe what have the players learned seeing him now three games in a row about how they can hopefully get a little bit more efficient in, in finishing the chances that they have? Well, Dave, I, I'm sure Espo was happy for a change, right? Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot the puck. Yes, I know. And, and he's right, for sure. You need to have that volume. Um, they have a lot of respect for Shesterkin because he's owned it. Um, and so, you know, the talk has been, rightly so, about the two goaltenders and the goaltending matchup. Who is going to be better? Goaltending, it comes down to you have to be one shot better than the guy at the other end. And Vassy's been outstanding at that. Having said that, Shesterkin, I've been reading up on him a little bit. And some of the goaltending experts, uh, particularly the Ranger um, retired goaltenders that see him all the time, Steve Alicata has a pretty good assessment of him. And Lundquist had some comments, too. They talk about how incredibly quick he is. One of them, I can't remember which one, or it was Ian Clark, another you know goaltending uh, coach, described Shesterkin as a hovercraft, which means that, I mean, he's really light on his feet. They say he stays up more than Vassy does or with more than pretty well any goaltender in the league. And he's incredibly quick. He has, a, I guess, a very distinctive, different push from the post to post or post into the middle of the ice and then back to the other post. So he is extremely aggressive. And I remember even in game one, Kucherov was all alone in front of the net three times. And he pushed out on Kuch and Kuch couldn't pick a corner. He hit him right in the chest, I think, all three times. So there's an awareness there, especially by number 86. You know, Kucherov has banked that. And I could see a fake and a little bit of a move. So... When, if you do have enough time to do that, then yeah, a little bit of a fake and then a, a shift, a change of the angle of the shot or reach out a little to your side and sort of spoon it into a corner because he's coming out at you. He's a little bit of old-time goalie that way that he really comes out and challenges. But he's very quick on his feet. And if you get in, maybe a good example again was uh, the Nick Paul goal in, in New York where he drove right across the top of the crease and hung on, hung on, hung on, and then stuffed it in the far side. That was a terrific goal. So you know he's going to be out challenging. If you have the time to do it, great. If not, you shoot for a rebound uh, in certain situations. Um, sometimes I would say it's a little old school for me. you got to shoot up right around his head um, because he does go down. Um, he just stays on his feet a little longer than the other ones. And if you have a choice, you'd still rather be going, you know, right around the ear level, right around the head, because at least you got a rebound. Um, it's a little bit intimidating for that. Um, speaking of that, I mean, I would, I, I wish they would do that early on in game three. Again, just looking for a difference in the feel is have some guys come down the wing. And if you get enough room driving wide, by the time you get to the dot and you're wide, you shoot it three feet over the net, just as hard as you can. And like send a few messages to him. Like we're coming at you at all different levels with everything we've got. Players don't do that much anymore. 
that's, you know, Dennis Hall, Bobby Hall, Mickey Redmond, Steve Schott, Bill Barber, uh, Reggie Leach. They'd come down. They'd take a look in the middle. Ah, I don't have anybody with me. They'd, they'd shoot a 95 mile, or, mile an hour one right at the guy's head, three feet over the net. It's worth it at times. And <laughs> there's a lot of ways to get to goaltenders. And there's intimidation, you know, besides just being in his face and maybe bumping into him the odd time. You got to use the puck every once in a while. Why not? Makes a lot of sense. And we'll see if that plays out tonight at all. Brian, great stuff as always. We always appreciate the analysis. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you in a few hours. Okay, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brian. Brian Engblom joining us right there. Always great to have him. Partner, another good show. We appreciate everybody who listened. And we are going to do it again tomorrow, noon to one, recapping, hopefully, a lightning win. I'll see you uh, down at the rink in a few hours. See you in a few hours. Thanks to Steve Ersnick for putting this all together. And thanks to everybody who participated in uh, Twitter spaces. Don't forget, Mish and I are here every weekday, noon to one. Check us out on Lightning Power Play. Download the iHeart app to your smartphone. We've got Lightning content 24-7. Bobby Fenton will recap this game tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, as he does the day after every game. And we'll be there for you throughout these playoffs. All right, everybody, enjoy the game tonight, starting at 7 with the pregame skate show. The puck drops at 8, and you can listen to it all right here on Lightning Power Play.